0: everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. We hope that you find encouragement today as you listen. I'm Kathy, if you don't know me. Um, I walked in these doors 25 years ago next month. So I've been around for a while. I'm with Youth With a Mission, so you support me. So again, thank you so much. And uh, just want to thank Pastor Brian and Debbie for, uh, it really is an honor. <laughs> Anytime, okay, I'll get choked up. So yeah, so just wanna thank Pastor Brian and Debbie for trusting me (laughs) with the pulpit this morning. I hope they're not sorry. Okay, so I'm gonna do what I usually do when I speak and that is I'm gonna take the first five, 10 minutes just to let you know some of the things that God's doing around the world. Yay, ha, 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 yeah, okay. So technology. I stink at technology. Anybody who knows me knows that's true. But technology is doing a great job of actually advancing the gospel. I know we can get a little down on it at times. You know, technology is amoral. It's not good, it's not evil, it's the heart of man and what he does with it. And so I'd want to share two things this morning just that are happening because of technology. And one is a website which is simply jesus.net. It's out of the Netherlands, and it's overseen by 86 Christian organizations working together to have a website where people can come uh, from nations that ordinarily would not be able to do this and find out who Jesus is. It's full of stories, pictures, videos, podcasts, not of Jesus himself, but about him. It's in five different languages, but then you can go to another place on the website, and there are 30 other languages where you can access from Arabic to Turkic to Chinese to some of the most closed nations. They can go on this website and find out about who Jesus is. 180,000 people a day, you guys. Access this website, 7,000 people get saved. This is awesome. This is awesome. God is on the move in the most quiet (laughs) ways, in the most hidden ways, in the most closed nations today, and technology is part of how he's doing that. Ta-da. We'll trip over that later. Okay. Uh, Another thing. Okay, this is so cool. So there's a pastor, Pastor Alex, and he was pastoring a church in South Sudan, Now, if you know anything about what's going on in the world today, South Sudan is, it's a hellhole. There's all kinds of, uh, uh, people are just being killed. It's factions, it's armies fighting each other. And the innocent men, women, children, families are the ones that are getting killed in this process. And uh, Pastor Alex and his family had to run for their lives. They had to leave everything behind them. And from South Sudan, they walked until they got to Uganda and found a refugee camp that would take them in. And as they got to this refugee camp, I don't know if you can imagine what it would be like. The suicide rate is so high because people have left everything behind, their country, their family, their possessions, and they're stuck in this place with nothing to do and no hope of change. And there's all kinds of mental problems and mental illnesses going on. And right in the middle of this is this Pastor Alex. And someone gave him a tablet that was solar-powered. <laughs> and then they gave him an app. And I will butcher the name because it's in Swahili. <laughs> but uh, it is called the e mobile app. And that's Swahili for books. In this app is is a whole library of theology books, of Bibles, and every different kind of version that you can imagine. But also on this app is, is help to know how to counsel people. Help to know how to start farming initiatives. Help to know how to start youth camps so that the young people who are committing suicide at a higher rate than anybody else in these camps would have hope and something to do and a the future. They are planning churches all over the place in these refugee camps based on an app and a solar powered tablet. Woo! Yeah, let's hear it for technology. Okay. <laughs> Uh, A couple weeks ago, Pastor Brian mentioned to you that Iran, which is in the news today, it's in the news most days, has one of the fastest-growing underground churches uh, in the world. It actually is the fastest-growing underground church right now. Um, Iran's intelligent minister openly expressed concern about the spread of Christianity in his country. They think right now there are about one million Christians in Iran. There's 82 million Iranians, but God is on the move, and they are, again, experiencing growth in their underground church. Now, it's not like here. They don't have buildings, they don't have a pastor, they don't have denominations, they don't have resources. They got nothing but Jesus, and therefore they have everything because they're not distracted like we are. They're not distracted. (laughs) They got nothing and they got everything. We need to be praying for Iran. (laughs) We need to be praying for what God is doing in these hidden underground countries. Okay, last one, Algeria. Okay, a Muslim man had a wife has a wife still, (laughs) and she was very sick, in a village in Algeria. He went to all the doctors. Nobody could help her. He got desperate enough. He started going to witch doctors and sorcerers. And then one day, somebody said to him, well, have you ever thought about trying the Christians? And so in desperation, he took his wife to church. Christians laid hands on her. She was healed. Okay, next week, this man starts coming to church. Starts coming every week. He's always asking for free Bibles. He's always asking for tracts. He's asking for anything. They don't know what it is that he's doing with them. In January, he came back to church with 14 people. His entire family saved. Three months later, entire village. He has planted four churches, and he is going strong. You guys, this stuff is going on. God is on the move. He's not silent. He pursues. Just like he's pursued every one of you and me, he is pursuing his children around the world. And we just got to know it and be aware of it and be praying for it and be cheering it on. Otherwise, we just read our news and we get so discouraged. (laughs) Okay, again, these websites are out there, Voice of the Martyrs is one of the best ones to go to, find out what's going on. These people are being persecuted, you guys. This is, this is. They're not sitting around in some country club. Again, they've lost everything, they've found everything. We want to be cheering our brothers and sisters on in the Lord. Amen? Amen? Okay. Alrighty. That's enough of that. <laughs> okay. We are, excuse me, oh, okay. We're gonna look at the story today in Mark chapter 10. I'm not into technology. There'll be no wonderful things on these screens. I'm sorry, can you handle it? Yeah, yeah, okay, good, I know you're tough. All right. We're gonna be reading and looking at the story of Bart and Timaeus. The beggar. And this is a story most of us are familiar with. We've heard it in Sunday school, if nothing else. These are not just nice little stories. Word of God is a life. It's spirit-bred, spirit-breathed. And we want to take a time and look at one of these stories that we might just kind of read and say, oh, that's nice. And actually kind of linger over it this morning. Take the time to unpack it and find the treasure that's within. The Bible is full of hidden treasure just waiting for us to read it and waiting for us to unpack it. So I'm going to read the story of Bartimaeus, John, uh, Mark 10. Verse 46, and they came to Jericho, and as Jesus was going out from Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many in the crowd were rebuking him and sternly telling him to be quiet. And he kept crying out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. And he said, call him here. And the crowd called after the blind man, saying to him, take courage, rise up. He's calling for you. And casting aside his cloak... Bartimaeus jumped up, and he came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following Jesus on the road. Okay. Okay. Let's look at some of the treasure in this story. Jesus has come into Jericho, and now he's leaving Jericho with a huge crowd with him. Because when Jesus enters a place, the crowds grow. He was the best theater of the day. People wanted to see him, people wanted to hear him, people heard his reputation of healing, of setting people free, of confronting people, of incredible teaching, and they were all gathered around and they wanted to hear this man. And as he's leaving the city with this huge crowd, up ahead of him, sitting in the road, is a man named Bartimaeus. And he's blind, and he's begging. Now, we don't know a thing about Bartimaeus. We know he's sitting along the road because that's where you sit along if you want people to see you and if you want people to notice you. We know he's blind. We know he hasn't always been blind because it talks about him regaining his sight. So we don't know how he lost his sight, how long it's been since he could see. We don't know his age. We don't know anything about him but he's doing what he has to do in order to survive. We don't know if his parents have disowned him. We don't know if they're elderly and can't look after him. We don't know if they're still alive. But apparently, if he has family, they don't have the resources to be able to look after him. And so there he is, on the road, with his cloak. And what they would do is they would sit down, they would sit on top of their cloak, so that they wouldn't have to sit in the dirt or the mud. (laughs) And they would spread their cloak out, and as people walked by, hopefully they would take some of their pocket change and they would throw it down at the beggar, and the cloak would catch the money. And at the end of the day, Bartimaeus would gather up his cloak, and he would hope he would have enough money to get through another day. We don't know mentally if he had hope, Because really all he could see was that his life wasn't going to change anytime soon. That he had X number of days laying ahead of him with no change. Where he would be sitting in darkness. Hoping for the goodwill and the charity of other people. And we know from having read other places in scripture, that there was a sense at times that if somebody was disabled in those days, it was because there was sin in their life or sin in their family's life. And people would have a tendency to look down on the disabled and figure, well, they had it coming to them. And so we don't know on a daily basis how he was treated. Was anybody kind to him that day? Was he being spit at? Was he being kicked? Were people stealing his money? We don't know. So here sat this man, again, with nothing, except his cloak and maybe his integrity. And as he's sitting there, he starts to hear this commotion. Now, we know if you're blind, usually your hearing is that much better. And he could probably hear the crowd coming before they even were on him. But he knew there was a commotion and that something was going on on the road. And as he was sitting there, someone said to him, it's Jesus. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And I can assure you that he knew who that was. Jesus was at the end of his ministry in this story. He was leaving Jericho, and he was going to triumphantly enter into Jerusalem. From there was the Last Supper. From there, the Garden of Gethsemane. From there, he was going to be crucified. So this is at the end of his three-year ministry. And I can assure you, there wasn't a village left in Israel who did not know who Jesus was. Who did not know what Jesus could do who did not know, when Jesus showed up, things happened. And there is Bartimaeus, and I can assure you, he knew. He knew this man healed. He knew it. Nobody had to tell him. And maybe for the first time in years, hope (laughs) came into his life. For the first time. There was somebody there who could actually reach out and touch him and make a difference in his life. And so is it any wonder, he starts screaming at the top of his lungs, Jesus, (laughs) Jesus, have mercy on me. Help, help. What does the crowd do? Oh, this is most unseemly. Be quiet, shut up. Would that stop you (laughs) if the one chance in your life was getting ready to walk down the road? No. He screamed out all the louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus heard him. Because Jesus always hears us. He always hears us. In the crush of a crowd with all kinds of noise going around him, he heard. It's like the woman who was, was hemorrhaging when she went up to him and thought, if, if I can just touch him. And he didn't know who it was, but he felt it. Because Jesus always hears us. And Jesus always feels us. And Jesus always knows that we're there. And instead of Jesus just walking up to him, which he could have done, I love this, because Jesus is so redemptive. (laughs) He gives the crowd a second chance. And he says to the crowd, who have been yelling at this poor man to shut up, he says to the crowd, bring him to me. And the crowd goes from yelling at this man to being his biggest cheerleader. I don't know why they change all of a sudden. Maybe they got a look into Jesus' eyes. Maybe they saw a heart beating with compassion. I don't know. But they became his biggest cheerleader. And they said, Take courage. Take courage. I want to talk just a minute about courage. About a year ago, um, I was going through a hard time, personally. Grappling with God, over things, and aware of areas of brokenness in my own life. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. (laughs) It really was. And I was after God to know him like I'd never known him before, but that meant that I had to change. Because I was starting to see myself as I'd never seen before. And there were places that didn't align with who I needed to be. And I was sitting around one day, and God gave me a verse. He gave me Isaiah 62. And he said, look at it, Kathy, because I want to give you a new name. And I thought, okay. Okay. And I looked up Isaiah 62, and in Isaiah 62, God is saying, You are no longer forsaken. And God was saying, You can't go by that name anymore. You are no longer forsaken. And I knew what forsaken meant to me. I felt abandoned, I felt misunderstood, I felt hidden, (laughs) I felt dismissed. And then it goes on to say, and you are not destitute. And I felt destitute. I felt alone. I felt utterly alone. And God said, You know what? You've been calling yourself this stuff for years, and this is not who you are. I have a new name for you. Will you take it? He said, You are not forsaken, you are wanted. You are sought after. You belong. You are not destitute. You are rejoiced over. You are beautiful. That one, the quiet, get used to. (laughs) You are totally and utterly redeemed. That's what I have always called you. Will you take on this new name, what I have always called you? I said, yeah, yeah, I will. It was a big step for me. And sometimes when we do something like that, we need to be vulnerable. Vulnerability is just, in wisdom and in the appropriate ways, being open to someone or someones, even though we have no assurance that they're going to get it or understand. (laughs) Nevertheless, we do it because it's right. And because God has done something in our life, and we want to solidify it and testify to it. And I felt like I was supposed to do that. So I went to a staff meeting, our poor staff, (laughs) and I shared this with them. I said, you guys, this is what God is doing. I've been going by this name. I'm not going there anymore. This is who I am. Just shared everything with them that I shared with you. And I said, if you ever see me operating other than this, you have my permission to hit me upside the head with a two-by-four. They would be only too happy to do that. (laughs) And then I sat down. And I got hit with a vulnerability hangover. (laughs) And I thought, what have I done? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I feel like my guts are all over the place. I feel exposed, I feel raw. Oh my gosh, why did I do that? (laughs) And when the meeting was all over, nobody said anything to me. (laughs) Except for one person. That Kate Perkins person. If you don't know Kate, you should get to know her. She's a good friend. (laughs) But one out of 50 wasn't enough. (laughs) And I still felt raw and all over the place. So I went home. And I did what God had taught me to do. I cried. (laughs) I thought, you idiot. (laughs) You absolute idiot. (laughs) And God's just kind of waiting for me to calm down. (laughs) Get it out, get it out. (laughs) And then I felt him ask me, well, do you regret doing it? I thought, no, actually, I don't. It was the right thing to do. I was supposed to do that. So no, I don't regret it. I regret how I feel right now. (laughs) But no, he said, well, would you do it again? I thought, yeah, darn right I would. (laughs) He said, so? (laughs) He said, Kathy, do you want to know what I thought of it? Perspective is everything. I said, oh yes, please. He said, I thought you were very courageous. I disagreed with him for a bit. I said, God, courageous is when somebody does something heroic. Courageous is all the superheroes in the comic books I read when I was in college. Courageous is David's mighty men. Courageous is Caleb saying, give me my hill country. Courageous is a fireman going into the fire to save. He said, you don't understand courage. He said, because most of us don't live in those kinds of worlds or in those kinds of situations. But my people are courageous on a daily basis. Many of you sitting in here are courageous on a daily basis. I said, well, what's courage? He said, courage is just... Strength, strength to face your fears, strength to face your doubts, strength to face your pain, strength to face your grief, strength to not quit, not hold back, but to continue to choose to engage with life, even in the midst of difficult situations and pain. Courage is essential to live free. It takes great courage to love yourself when you feel unlovable. It takes great courage to accept yourself when you feel unacceptable. It takes great courage to keep on coming. And to trust God, even though you don't have all the answers. But you know he does. And you know he hears you. And you know he feels you. And you know he'll be there. So here's Bartimaeus. And the crowd saying, take courage. Rise up. Because that's what we do when we take courage. We rise up. You can't be courageous and not rise up in your situation and the things in which you're facing. So they said, take courage, rise up. And what did Bartimaeus do? He took courage. (laughs) He rose up. He took his cloak and he threw it away from him. Whoa. (laughs) Something in Bartimaeus knew he was never going to need that cloak again. Something in Bartimaeus knew that identity is not who I am anymore. God's not calling us, you guys, to sit in the dirt on our cloak when He's calling us to be sons and daughters of the Most High. And He beat a path to Jesus. And Jesus looked at Him and asked Him a question which he's asking us this morning. What is it do you want me to do for you? What is it that you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus knew. He didn't have to think about it. I don't always know. And Jesus would have me think about it. What Bartimaeus knew was that he was blind and he wanted to see. And he stood in front of the very life giver who could do that for me. And when I say that we ask God, what is it? Answer it, God, what is it you want to? When he's asking us that question, it's not about Cadillacs. <laughs> It's not about stuff. Where are we blind and we want to see? Where do we have spiritual cataracts and he wants to remove them? Where do we, if we're honest, feel lonely or empty inside and we stand before the life giver who is wanting us to be vulnerable enough so that he can reach out and bring sight and life into those places. And so Bartimaeus received his sight. It says immediately. Now, personally, I find when I receive my sight, there's a process. (laughs) And it takes a while. But he is in the process, very much so. And the process is just as important as the aha moment. And Jesus said to him, okay, go your way. And what did Bartimaeus do? He went his way. He followed Jesus down the road. Most of the stories in the Gospels, we don't have names. It's a leper, or it's somebody with a withered hand, or it's a blind person, or it's somebody with an issue of blood. Here we have the name, Bartimaeus. This is just my own personal heresy, but I think we know his name because he did indeed follow Jesus down the road. And Jesus and the apostles and the disciples got to know this man. And so when it came to time to write the story about who he was, they knew the name. They knew who he was. We live in times, you guys, that call for great courage. Not the a superhero type, the kingdom of God type. Where we move in the strength that God gives us in the face of life and the things that we are grappling with and facing, determined to engage with life because it's all about relationships. 1 Thessalonians 5.10 says encourage one another. Encourage is just a word for saying put courage in. (laughs) So we have need of courage and we have need of encouragement. These things work together. And that's why I think Jesus gave that crowd a second chance. Because at the one point they were saying, be quiet. At the second point, they had a chance to actually encourage and put courage into Bartimaeus. I don't think anything was going to hold that man back. (laughs) But there are a lot of things that will hold me back. And I need help. I need you. We need one another. Kingdom of God is a community of relationships where we need the courage that we can put in to one another. First time I ever got up to speak, oh gosh, it was dreadful. I mean, it was just so dreadful. And if I had not been encouraged, there never would have been a second time. We need this. <laughs> we need this in each other's lives. Okay, I'm going I'm to tell a story. <laughs> I'm going to pray. This is what I'm supposed to do. And then the worship team's going to come up, and they're going to worship. Uh, We have a prayer team, and uh, they're going to go in the back. We have a prayer team every Sunday, you guys, and um, usually we'll get one or two people. Prayer team should be back there hitting people off with a stick, (laughs) okay? This is our opportunity on a Sunday to get prayer from someone who has no agenda (laughs) other than to hear God on your behalf and pray for you. So if you're feeling like I don't mind a vulnerability hangover and I have things that I really need to share with somebody and ask for prayer for, please go back and let the prayer team pray for you. Although I don't see them back there, but hopefully they will be. (laughs) Are they? Uh, uh? Okay, or stay and listen to me. Okay. (laughs) All right. So I want to end with a story. Um. There was this math teacher... And a high school math teacher. And this was a number of years ago. And her students came into class one day, and uh, instead of doing math, she had them each take out a piece of paper. And on the piece of paper, she had them write down the names of all of their classmates and leave space by each name. And then she asked them to take the time to write by each name something they appreciated about that person, something they saw in them, something that delighted them, something that was significant to them about who that person was. And so they did that. They turned in their papers. Over the weekend, she compiled them. When they came back into class on Monday, she gave each one of them a paper with their name on it and all the things that their classmates had said about them. They were blown out of the water. I mean, they could not shut up (laughs) for the entire class period. Just talking about, whoa, I didn't know anybody saw that in me. I didn't know anybody appreciated that about me. I didn't know anybody saw me that way. Years later, she was at a funeral for one of those students. He'd been killed in Vietnam. And after the funeral, there was a luncheon. And the teacher and the classmates and other people were invited to luncheon. And the parents came up to the teacher. They said, you were were Mark's math teacher, right? She said, yeah. And the father reached into his wallet, pulled out a piece of paper, and said, this was on my son the day he was killed. And it was a piece of paper with his name on it with all the responses. And as they were talking, other students came up. And one said, yeah, I still have my paper. I keep it in my top drawer. Another one said, yeah, I have mine. I wrote it into my diary. I always have it on hand. Another one said, yeah, and she reached into her purse and she pulled out her wallet and took out the piece of paper. She said, I don't think a single one of our classmates ever got rid of that paper. There's a reason why Scripture is full of the admonition to take courage. And there's a reason why one of the one another's in the Word of God is to encourage one another. Because that's how God wired us to need each other, to need truth, to be able to feed off of truth in the midst of everything that we face on an ongoing basis in our lives. You as an individual, this church home, the body of Christ, is called to be people of great courage and those who outdo one another in encouraging one another. Let's pray. For at least two minutes. (laughs) Lord, I don't know everybody's story sitting in this room right now, but you do. You know where each one of my brothers and sisters are at. We have no idea most of the time what each other is facing and the challenges before each other. And we're not real good all the time, God, at sharing these things with each other. But God, I pray that you would do something special this morning. That God, we would be able to stand before you and say, God... These are places where I'm blind and I want to see. That we would hear you asking the question, what is it you want me to do for you? (laughs) Because you so long to touch those places in our lives and in our hearts, in our emotions, in our physical bodies. You are the life giver. You don't call us to survive, you call us to thrive as we feed on the things that give life. And so, God, this morning I pray that we would take seriously your question. What is it do you want me to do for you? Because you're longing to respond. You're longing for us to know how very well you know us and how completely you see us and how incredibly for us you are. So God, may we take courage. May we rise up. May we throw off any dirty old cloaks (laughs) of past identity that is holding us back and keeping us from you and from each other the way we were intended to be. I speak out your truth over us. We are not forsaken. and We are not desolate. We are wanted. We are sought after. We are beautiful in your eyes. You want to fully redeem. You delight in us. This is truth. And I am so tired of seeing the enemy rip us off. There is nothing of the enemy we want. And there is everything of you that we would embrace. So you are extending an invitation to us this morning. And an invitation is something to be responded to. When we get invited to a party or a wedding or a shower or a cookout, We know that someone sees us and someone wants us and someone wants us to be a part of what it is that they are offering. And this morning, Jesus, you stand here before us with an invitation saying, I see you, I want you, I want you to be a greater part of me and of life. What is it that you want me to do for you? God, may we have the courage. To answer that, may we have the courage to engage fully with life. And may we outdo one another in encouraging one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, check out our website at www.ridway.church.